0: in your bibles tonight to the book of joshua so the old testament book of joshua chapter three tonight in our bible study and if you need a bible to follow along in our bible study just lift up your hands and uh, the ushers are making their way up the aisles right now to bring a bible to you so you can follow along with us in our study When's the last time you were really lost? You were driving in your car and you thought you knew where you were going. The navigation was dialed in or your MapQuest directions were neatly printed out and exposed on the seat next to you. And as you drove along, you realized that either you really made a huge error Or there was some construction that's taken place from the time between you, uh, you know, printing up or updating the GPS and, you know, the time that you're in. And you realize that you're just lost. You have absolutely no idea where you are. Or maybe you have gone hiking. We do this from time to time as a family. And, you know, the, the trails are clearly marked. There's a blue reflector nailed to a tree every 50 feet or so, and there you are on the path, but all of a sudden you find your place or yourself in a place where the path seems a little bit obscure and you realize you haven't seen a marker for a while. And that that feeling grips your heart of, oh no, <laughs> you know, I can't just pull into 7-Eleven and ask directions. I'm in the woods, and I'm lost, and I don't, and, and the sun is going down. You know, we, we've been there, and you know, you know that feeling that grips you when you realize that you're not where you want to be. You're lost. But what happens when it isn't about your location, but rather it concerns your life? You find yourself in a position in your life where you realize, well, this, I started out on a certain road going in a particular direction, and I thought that it was going to lead me to the place of success. or I believe this was the pathway to prosperity. But all of a sudden, you wake up one day and you realize that you don't know where you are. And in fact, what you thought was a pathway to somewhere where you knew you were going turned out to be a path towards Demise and towards destruction, and you find yourself lost. And you know that feeling that can grip your heart when you realize you're in that place and you begin to ask yourself the question, what do I do now? And what most people do when they find themselves in a situation like that is they begin to look for a leader. Someone that can take them out of the dire circumstances that they find themselves in and bring them back onto or put them onto a path that will lead them where they ultimately want to go. And so some people will turn to a psychic, they'll go to someone who can at least claim to see the future. They can know things that no one else can know and that perhaps could advise you in a way that will help you to get where you're seeking to go. They'll, take, they, they'll go to a, a psychic, someone who claims that power. Some people will turn to their daily horoscope, looking for leading, looking to be led. Do the stars actually care about me? Do the stars really tell a story? And are the stars really so concerned with the affairs of men that the way they are aligned in accordance with the time that I was born, that it actually could give significant or careful leading for my life to get me from the place that I'm in to the place that I want to be? Some will visit a psychiatrist, a soul doctor. And they'll go to someone who will analyze their past that will probe through their personal things and perhaps prescribe something that you know is intended to help maybe but what if that person gets it wrong or worse yet what if the psychiatrist that you're seeking to have lead you into a place of you know prosperity or blessing or goodness what if that person actually turns out to be lost themselves some people We'll turn to self-help books and articles and, and, and ideas and philosophies, concepts that people write one after the next that will hopefully inspire you in such a way that you'll be able to help yourself. The same self that got you lost in the first place. The question is, is there actually a source... That a man or a woman could turn to where they could get infallible, proven leading that's going to actually get them on the path that they need to go. Well, if there was actually a source or a person or something that could lead me in the way that I want to be led, then, then that source would have to meet a couple of qualifications. First of all, that source would have to be able to know the future. That source would be able to see everything that's going to happen on every front of life as it concerns me, but also as it concerns everything that concerns me, be it things economic, or things social, or things in family, or things in everything. It would have to be a source that knows the future if it's going to be able to reliably lead my life. That source would also have to have supernatural power. Because it would have to be able to alleviate roadblocks and things that would come and subvert the path that I'm on or offset the progress that I'm making. It would have to have the supernatural power to be able to deal with those obstacles and navigate around them in a way that would help me or lead me. It would also be a source that would have to be with me 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Because for me to be led successfully, to get where I need to go, what happens when I come to an immediate, unexpected crossroad? Or when I need advice on the fly? It would have to be a source that can give me that leading in a pinch. So it would have to be with me 24-7. And that leader that I'm seeking would also have to care a whole lot about me to deal with everything that that leader would have to deal with in my frailties and my weaknesses, in my poor decision-making that leader would have to have a whole lot of patience to deal with those things. Does a source like that exist? You say, Nick. (laughs) We're in church. We know where you're going with this. I don't think there's a person on the planet That if there was a source like that, that was readily available, that they wouldn't tap into it. Knowing that we are finite beings that do not know what's going to happen this day or the next. You say, well that's my problem at this point in this, where you're leading with this sermon, with this study. Because I've given my life to the Lord. The one whom you're about to claim is the one who leads like that, that cares that much, that sees the future, that has supernatural powers, that's with me 24-7, that cares an awful lot about me. I've given my life to the Lord, and not only has he not brought me out of the pit, but my situation has actually gotten worse since the time that I did that. So what about this Lord that you're going to say will lead our lives? What about it? Well, here, let me ask you a question in this arena of being led and asking for God's help and being assisted, aided by him, the question for you is, who is leading who? Because many people will come to God in their time of dire need, in the situation when they realize that they're lost, that their life has fallen apart, that they're on a path toward shipwreck. They'll come to the Lord... But when they come to him, they come under the premise of, I'm coming to you because I need help. But what I want you to do is I want you to help me in my circumstance, and I want you to bless and lead my plans. My will, your work, and you get me out of this situation that I'm in. And God says, oh, really? Or is it a matter of not my will, but your will be done, my life is yours, and if you will lead, Lord, then that means I will follow, and I will do what you say. Here is the premise that I will put forth to you right at the beginning of this, is that God is willing to lead anyone who is willing to follow him. Now, in our text, as we come to this point in Joshua, in chapter 3, God has been in a relationship with these people for the past 40 years now. He's delivered them from Egypt at their request and according to His good pleasure. He wanted to set them free, and He did. He committed to them that He was going to work in their lives and that He was going to finish what He began But the problem was the people were not willing to follow his leading. He had led them 40 years previously through the Sinai Peninsula, the Moab wilderness, and he brought them to the brink of the Jordan River where they were to cross and go in and inherit the promised land. But as they came to that juncture, the people said, Not so, Lord. We don't want to go that way. That's not the path that we would prescribe for ourselves. We would rather have you do your work in us and for us on this side of the Jordan River. And so we're not going to go where you're leading, but we want you to bless our plan, our endeavor, what we want to do. Lord, we want you to bless us. The result of that is that they wandered through a wilderness for 40 years, being sustained, being saved, having God with them at all times but yet making absolutely no progress in their existence or bearing any fruit for their future. They did absolutely nothing but survive for 40 years because they weren't willing to follow God, but rather they demanded God's providence, God's prosperity, God's blessing, but they weren't willing to surrender their lives completely to Him. Well now, 40 years later, He's got their attention. And they find themselves again at the brink of the same river, but this time with a completely different attitude. They've experienced for the past 40 years the best that they could do for themselves. They've tapped their own personal resources. They've gone as far as they can go and they realize that they are none the better for it and they've gotten no further in it. And they've come to the point where they're willing to follow whatever the Lord would have and go wherever he would lead. And so they're on the brink of the river where the previous generation failed and they are now ready to be led. And God is willing now, we find, to lead them in. He will hold nothing back in leading and in prospering those that will give their lives to following him completely. So how does a man or a woman who knows the Lord who calls upon the Lord, find the leading of the Lord, the one who's willing and able to lead our lives and bring us into the place that we desire to be and that he desires us to be. How do we find that leading? And that's the question that our text in Joshua chapter 3 and 4 answers for us tonight. As the Lord now leads his people into the land that he promised to give them, There's a few things uh, that we see. And so, look with me at chapter 3, verse 1 here. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove, and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. That's about 10 football fields or a little over half a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now Moses has recently died. The pillar of cloud that led them by day and the fire that led them by night, that has ceased as they find themselves now at the brink of the Jordan River. The time that they would spend in the wilderness has come and gone. It's been wasted completely. And now they find themselves in this place where they're willing to be led by God. The first thing that we discover in these opening verses of chapter 3 is the posture of a people that is willing to be led. What are some observable characteristics that we can see in these people that we can apply also to our lives that would indicate to us that we ourselves are in a place where we're willing to be led by God? Well, the first thing that we notice about them right there in verse 1 is that they are dwelling in a state of hopeful expectation. It tells us there that they made their dwelling place as close to the point where God was leading them as they could go before it was up to God to make the next step. That they knew that in order for them to get into the place of promise, that they would have to get across the river, but that that would require something that was beyond themselves. But instead of going and wandering in the wilderness and just waiting for, you know, a bridge to appear or for someone to build a bridge and they would just go on with their lives they came to that point and they waited in expectation knowing that if the lord led us here the lord is going to bring us through here and he's going to do a work and they were willing to come to that point of expectation waiting prepared for god to move in their situation there's so many people that seek to be led by the lord But they don't live their lives in a way wherein they expect that God is actually going to lead them. I remember a Christian brother that I was uh, in a church with years ago. It was the first church that I was a part of uh, when I got saved. And and the church I was trained up in the ministry in. the, The beginning of that training. That training never ends, you know. And I remember this brother, he had a, a real gift for, for music, and he had a heart for the Lord. And I, and I served on the worship team in that church, and I remember asking him uh, on a couple of occasions, saying, hey, would you play on our team? You, you really have a, a gift to play, and, and, and you know, you're just kind of sitting on it. You're not doing anything. Why don't you come and play with us? And I remember he used to say to me, he would say, you know, I, I really don't feel like that's what God wants me to do right now. He said, I, I feel like there's another calling upon my life and that that is not what it is. And so I'm not going to do that. And, and I remember asking him, saying, well, what is the calling that God has upon your life? And he said, I really just feel like God is calling me to be a pastor. And, and when he said that, you know, I was like, wow, you know, that well, that's a, that indeed is a high calling and, and, and you know, a noble one. And and that's that's great. But I remember thinking to myself then and then observing after that. But what are you doing? He was working. He was raising a family. He was doing everything right. But there was absolutely no move or drive in his life at all to prepare himself for that calling that he believed that God had placed upon him. He was doing absolutely nothing in service to the Lord. He he, he wasn't in prayer meetings. He was in church Sometimes, you know, he, all these things. And, and, and I watch, and I watch for the years that I was there, I watch, and nothing ever changed in his life. And I remember thinking to myself, was, does he think that one day the phone is just going to ring, and someone's going to say, hey, we've got a church, and we thought you would want to pastor it, and, uh, would you come and do it? And, 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 you know, and I've watched since, and, and nothing has ever changed in that life. And that's the way many people live. They want to be led by the Lord. They want to find his destiny for their life. But there's absolutely no heart of sitting, waiting, being in the place where God, when he moves, they're ready and prepared to move into it. Not so with these people. Forty years ago, yes, but today, no. They're going to stay there. And even if they have to wait three days, they're not going back into Moab. They're not going to go and say, well, we're just going to wait for for, for the thing to take care of itself and we'll come back and try in a week. But they said, no, we're we're going to wait here. And God's going to move because he said he's going to move. And they were expectant, hopefully waiting for God to move. The, the second thing that we observe about them is that their eyes were fixed upon the Lord. Whereas previously their eyes were on everything else. Their eyes were upon their own weaknesses. Their eyes were upon the giants that were in the land. Their eyes were upon the impossibility of passage across the Jordan River. And their eyes were upon every circumstance. At this point we find them and the priests walked through and they say, Keep your eyes upon the ark. When you see the Ark of the Covenant move, and the eyes of the people were steadfastly fixed upon the Ark. What was the Ark? The Ark was that golden box that had been constructed by Moses. With the golden slab that held it closed, with the two cherubs, the angels made out of molten gold, wings overspread over the top of it, the mercy seat. It was the thing that represented the presence of God among them. Inside, it contained the Ten Commandments, the two tables of stone that Moses had brought down the mountain, and it was the most sacred piece of furniture in their, you know, portable worship, uh, you know, setup there. And it represented the presence of God among them, and it represented the Word of God to them as it contained the law. And they were in a place where their eyes were completely upon him. There there was nothing else to look at except, where is the Lord leading? How is he going to do this? And that's where their eyes were fixed. What is he doing? What is he saying? What does he want? And the sum total of their attention was completely fixed upon the Lord at this point. They had no mind or eye for anything else, but they were going to follow the Lord when he led. And they were watching for that leading. The third thing that we notice there in verse 4 is that there was careful observance to the path. Look again with me at verse 4. He says, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Why would there be a space of 2,000 cubits? Why? Because that would give them the ability to watch carefully the path that the ark took as it made its way down to the river, and they were instructed to follow exactly in the steps that they saw, that they observed. You know? It's kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the Jewish rabbi, the Catholic priest, and the, the Protestant minister that all went fishing and 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 so you know the 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 rabbi and the the catholic priest they they always went fishing but they brought the minister along you know in, in a gesture of goodwill and so they they go out in the fishing boat and as they're there fishing all of a sudden the the rabbi he says you know what i forgot my my tackle box uh, some of the lures on on land i'm just going to go get them and so he jumped out of the boat and he walked on water all the way from the boat to the land got his stuff and then ran back out to the boat and hopped back in the boat and, and the Catholic priest didn't even wasn't even phased by it, like it was nothing. And the, and the Protestant minister was thinking to himself, "What? What in the world was that?" But he, but he kept a poker face because he didn't want to. You know, he saw that the, the priest wasn't moved. Then the priest, a couple minutes later, he said, "You know what? I'm I'm starving. I need a sandwich." And so he hopped out of the boat and he walked on water and he went to the shore, got a sandwich, and he he came back. And 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 again, the rabbi wasn't even moved by what he saw. And so this minister, he's in the boat and he says oh my goodness, what is going on? They're walking on water. I'm supposed to be the one that knows you, Lord, the true and the living God. I'm in relationship with you. What is going on here? He says, I can't be upstaged by this. And so he said, yeah, you know, I'm I'm getting a little hungry too. And so he drops his fishing rod and he jumps out of the boat and poosh, totally sinks. you know. And, and, he, and he's he got his hair wet and he's embarrassed and he, and he climbs back into the boat and he's, he's trying to keep his game face on like he did it on purpose, you know, and whatever. And then he realizes, no, I, I have got the faith, Lord. If they can do it, I can do it. And so he does it again, and he jumps out of the boat and splashes in. And he looks up, and he sees the the, the priest and the, and the rabbi. They're looking at him. They're laughing a little bit. And then the rabbi turns to the priest, and he says, should we tell him where the rocks are? <laughs> but the idea is, is that where you put your feet is of the utmost importance that you don't sink. And when it comes to following the leading of the Lord, they were set in a way wherein they were so focused on what it was that the Lord was doing and how He was leading them as a people that they were going to watch every step that the priests took carrying the Ark of the Covenant as they moved their way towards the Jordan River so as not to at all miss even a step to go to the right hand or to the left of what the Lord was leading. That was the posture of this people that wanted to be led of the Lord. Is Where is he leading? How is he leading us? Where is the path going? And Lord, where can we go? And we all know what that's like to take a step out of the way. We take one step out of the way and it can change the course of a a whole circumstance or or a whole maybe season that we've been prepared for. And we, we make one false step and things can just change for us. I think of Saul, where he was told by Samuel to wait seven days for Samuel to come and offer the offering. And he waited seven days, but on the seventh day, he grew impatient. And he said, Samuel's not going to come. And he offered the offering himself. He stepped out of the way, just one step, one half hour. He didn't wait. And he took a step beyond what he was supposed to take. And it ruined the rest of his ministry. It was at that point that the kingdom was stripped from him, and God refused him because he was disobedient. Just one one step, we all can relate to that. We were walking up uh, up our street, and you know, there's some hills, and uh, and and that you, that's what you do when you have a lot of kids. You, you walk. That's what, you know, hey, let's want to do something. Yeah, let's go for a walk. And so we're walking, and, uh, and 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 you know, we run a lot too. Me and the kids, and. Um, and and so we have nicknames. And so Sarah, because she is always the smallest, her nickname is Little Legs because she's so she's so little, and yet she moves those little legs. I mean, she will not be outdone, you know. And so now Riley's with us, and he's a full two, and he walks on his own. He's out of the stroller, and he's making it up and down these hills. And so he now has a name. His name is now Tiny Legs. So so Riley's Tiny Legs, and Sarah's Little Legs. And so, you know, then the kids take over and they start giving names to everybody else. And they said, Well, Hosanna's gotta be long legs. I mean, she's by far the you know the the tallest of the three kids and lanky is all, you know. So Hosanna's long legs. And then one of the kids took a step out of the way. They said, Mommy would be big legs. (laughs) It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And it was like the record needle going, you know, scratching off. The music in the background stops. The birds stop chirping. The cicadas even stopped, you know. It was like total utter silence for a minute. It was like, how about we think of something else for mommy, you know. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those. Don't worry, I asked her if I could share that. You know, she 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 approved it, you know. <laughs> but it's one of those things that you understand. You take one step out of the way. And sometimes it can be very costly. You realize where God leads can be of the utmost importance and how I follow Him makes a difference. And their eyes were set. They weren't going to step aside from what God was leading, how He was leading them. And then we see uh, finally there in verse 5 that Joshua says to them, Sanctify yourselves. Is that in this posture where they wanted to be led, that they were set on doing the will of God and of coming into what God had for their lives. They knew that they couldn't be living in a way wherein they were compromising the presence of God among them or the blessing of God that would be upon them. That they needed to be be sanctified just means to be set apart, to be holy. Holy. That this isn't the season to be watching things you shouldn't be seeing or saying things that you shouldn't be saying or listening to things that you shouldn't be listening to or being untruthful or half-truthful or of doing anything at all that there's any compromise. But no, I want to be led by the Lord. And so I'm serious about this, Lord. And, and, and I know I'm not saved by works. I know that I'm not in relationship by the law. But I take seriously your word. And I want to be as obedient to you as I can because I'm in a posture wherein I want to be led by you. And we see that this people, after 40 years of wasted life, had finally come to this place where they say, Lord, whatever it is, we're going to do it because we're that serious about being led by you. Well, then there's a place for human leaders as he moves on in the next couple of verses here. And, and, and you know, sometimes we, we want that. There's something in us that we need the, the human element in this relationship, this leading of God, the counsel that we get from Him. And so what's the place of the human leader? He says in verse 6, It says, Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And so Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And so now we see that Joshua is to command or speak to these priests, the ones that bear the Ark of the Covenant. And right in here, we find the sum total of the role of God's, we'll, we'll call them leaders for lack of uh, you know a different term for now. But what is the role of the leader that represents God as it concerns God's people? There's two things here that they are told to do. They are to do two things. They are, number one, to bear the ark. The person that represents God is to bear the ark. Again, the ark speaks to us concerning the presence and the word of God. And that is what the servant of God is to do. They're to bear God's presence, and they're to give forth the word of God. That's the job of someone who serves the Lord, a minister of God. To be in his presence, and to give forth his word. It's very simple. It's not something that's complicated, and it's not something... In fact, a lot of times, it's a huge letdown. People come for counseling and they think, okay, well, you're a pastor, you know, you, you obviously uh, know where you are and you've got life by the tail and so you can help me get my life by the tail. And, and, and so they come for counsel and then, and then you know, they, they tell you their things and they're waiting for you to say that perfect thing that they didn't think of or neither did anybody else that they, you know, and, and then you just say, well, the Bible says, and you see their eyes roll. They go, I came here for that. For the Bible says, you know, yes, that's what you came for. Because that's all there is. See, there is no human leader. See, if I or a pastor or a leader, if someone gives you that advice, that perfect advice, that that is the thing that you needed, guess what? They just got themselves a full-time job. Because every time you have something that you need, guess where you're going to go? Right there. And God wouldn't have it that way because he will not be upstaged by any man. And his desire in the life of his people is to be first in the life of his people and to be sought by his people. And oftentimes the, 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 the complex situations that we find ourselves in are the very purpose of God in our lives to get us to look to him and to call upon him and to seek him, that he might show himself to be the leader that can lead us. And so the purpose of these men is to bear the ark, and then, second of all, to show the way. They're, they're to be the ones that, as they carry the ark, they go, and it gives the people something to look at, an example, to say, I see that person following. I see that person in the will of God, and I'm going to go that way. I'm going to do that same thing. The Apostle Paul, when he was talking to the elders of Ephesus for the last time, he said to them, he said, I have been with you for the space of three years, and he said, I've done two things among you. I have taught you, and I have showed you the way that you must go. And that is the job of the human leader as it relates to this service of God, is that it's to teach and to show. And that's what they're doing. They're bearing the ark, the presence in the word, and they're leading the way. They're walking with God themselves so that people can say, hey, that's a, that's a person who's walking with the Lord and that's as much as you get from the human leader. Well, well, how is the Lord going to lead now? What's the Lord going to do for them? How is all of this posturing and preparation and now the watching and the following of the priest, how is this going to work out and what in the world does it mean to us? In verse 10 as he moves on from here. He's gonna to speak to them about a sign. Now I'm gonna ask for your attention for one minute. And here's what you gotta do. Is you gotta sit forward in your seat and you gotta get up just a little bit so that you're putting all your weight on your quads. And that's gonna keep you from going to sleep for the next minute or two. And here's why. I'm gonna read with very little commentary. And, and I know you're thinking, yeah, right. And you might be right. The next chapter and a half, and then I'm going to come back and tie it all together, because that's the only way I can clarify this for you. <laughs> you know, because of the way he says it, and maybe you'll understand. But but he, so so we're going to read some verses here, follow the story, okay? Tune in. It's going to take some effort. Don't think about how you need to cut the grass after six weeks of rain. You know, just tune in. And, and, and plus, this is the way that we'll get out of here right on time. Okay, that should motivate you. <laughs> okay, so verse 10, here's the sign. This is how God's going to lead them now. It says, And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. The seven nations of the Canaanites that God promised to drive out from the land. He says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men, From the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests, who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from the camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. That means the river was flooded. It was raging. It was gushing. It was impassable. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea or the dead sea, failed and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And it came to pass that when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from among the people, one man from every tribe and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here. Out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. So, 12 men, one from each tribe, is to carry a large stone from the dry riverbed where they were passing and bring it with them out of the river to the place where they lodge. Verse 4. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. So this is a second set of 12 stones that get set up right in the dried riverbed in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. You probably would too. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that is, the two and a half tribes that took an inheritance on the eastern side of the river, the ones that weren't going to come into the land, but had to come in to fight, it says that they crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war, crossed over before the Lord for battle, to the plains of Jericho. On that day... The Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So the people come to the edge of the Jordan. The promise had been given 400 plus years previously that God was going to bring them into that land and give it to them for an inheritance. They'd been freed from Egypt, they'd wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, they'd come to the end of themselves, to the end of their resources, as far as they could get on their own, and they came to the waters for the second time. Not the Red Sea this time, but the Jordan River. And in humble childlike dependence and obedience, they followed the leading of the ark that led them right to the brink of the waters of the Jordan River. And they're finally at the place where they're ready and they're focused and they're listening and they're watching for God. And then Joshua says to the people as they're gathered there now and the time has come for them to move in. Joshua says to the people, he says, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a sign. There's going to be a wonder that's going to take place in your sight, in your midst that you're going to see. And by this sign... You're going to know that the Lord is among you. And here's what that sign is. The Lord says to him, he says, something is going to change. There's going to be a change. The water, the resource of the Jordan River is going to stop way upstream in the city of Adam. Now, nobody knows where the city of Adam was or what it was famous for, and there's no point ever in the future that it's mentioned again. This is the only mention of the city of Adam on the Jordan River, and that's significant. He, he says that the water is going to be cut off at Adam. What water? The water, he tells us there in, in chapter 3, verse 16, the water that flows to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest spot on the planet. Excuse me. Dry <coughs> spot. The lowest spot on the planet. The water is so salty, 20%, that not a single organism can live in that water. It is completely dead. It is called the salt sea, the dead sea, you know, because of that reason. And here's what he says. This is the sign. The waters, the resources is going to be cut off from Adam. Adam means man. Man's resources are going to stop. Man's abilities are going to be cut off. Where does man's ability lead? It leads only to the Dead Sea. The best that any man could ever do, the best effort that he could ever put forth is never going to turn into anything. It's ultimately going to end in a place where nothing can live at all, but that water's going to be cut off. And when that happens, when that cutoff takes place and you see the ark pass through, you are going to pass through the sea on dry ground. And there's going to be a change. You're going to be in a different place When you come to the other side, the waters are going to release, and and you're going to think, hey, everything's the same. My my heart's beating the same. I'm wearing the same clothes. I feel the same. Nothing seems different, but Joshua says it's different. Something is different. (coughs) You have changed uh, locations. You're in a new place here, and when that happens, you are going to move from the wilderness, and you're now going to be in the promised land. You're going to move from a place of wandering to a life of purpose. You're going to move from manna that comes from heaven to meat that comes from the land. And you're going to move from signs and wonders that you follow and that link you to the Lord. And it's going to move you into the land of assurance as you walk with God. And here's how it's going to go down. He says, the ark, the Lord himself. Now listen, pay attention. It's important. It it applies. Trust me. He says, the ark, the presence of the Lord is going to go first. The Lord is going to go into the waters. He will be the forerunner. And then the priests are going to follow after. (coughs) The priests will follow. And then all of the people. The people are going to go through the water after them. and, 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 And as long as the priests are in there, the water is going to stay. The land will be dry. And here's what you're to do is take 12 stones. And, and, and have the priests, or the, the 12 men, 12 men from the tribes, bring them up out of the water, and you're going to make a monument on the other side that forever is going to serve as a sign that will remind you of what took place on this day, and that memorial is going to serve three purposes according to what Joshua says to them. First of all, it's a pledge. It's a promise from God that guarantees you victory. That when you see that, it's going to remind you that just like God dried this river, He is going to drive out the seven nations of the Canaanites that He has promised. And it's an assured promise that God is going to complete the work that He began. And so this sign is for you a pledge that God's going to finish His work. It's also a sign. He says it's a sign that will enable you... To forever tell future generations about the great things that God has done. That when you see this monument of 12 stones and people ask and they say, What does that mean? Why is it there? That Then you can say that this is the thing that God has done. And then it also is a a prophecy as we see in the final three verses there of chapter uh, (coughs) 4. Excuse me. (laughs) Look again. Um. Uh, at at verse 22 of chapter 5, he says, you shall let your children know, saying that Israel crossed over on this dry land, and that it means something for the future. And then he says in verse 23, for the Lord dried up the waters as he did at the Red Sea. He likens it unto the crossing of the Red Sea, and then he associates it in the final verse there with the might or with the power of the God of all the earth. And so it serves as a sign, meaning something for the future, associated with the Red Sea, and associated with the power of God. You say, okay, we got the story twice now. What does it have to do with us and and, and our entering into the promised land? More importantly, as it concerns our being led by the Lord as He seeks to lead our lives. 1,500 years from this point, the prophecy the fulfillment of this picture would take place. The Bible tells us that for 400, well, it doesn't tell us, we understand, that for 400 plus years, there had been a promise, but there had been, in a sense, silence. The last of the prophets had been Malachi no one had spoken since malachi there was no prophet there was no revelation there was no uh uh, you know inspiration anything happening and the people were just waiting all they had was a promise that god was going to send a deliverer a messiah god sent a forerunner a man named john the baptist and the bible tells us that his clothing was wild uh camel's hair and he wore a leather belt and for food he ate wild honey and locusts and I, i mean he was a character And the Bible tells us that he was baptizing beyond the Jordan River. And it was a baptism of of repentance and of making preparation for the coming of the Messiah. In fact, he said that the one that comes after me is mightier than I, the one whose sandal I'm not even worthy to unloose. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, the place where John the Baptist was baptizing is of great significance because it's the exact place where the children of Israel crossed into the land. John chapter 1, verse 28, tells us that these things were done beyond Jordan, meaning on the other side of the Jordan River, at Beth, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Bethabara. Beth Abara means the house of passage. Beth is house and Abar or Abara is passage. Joshua twenty two eleven. You can remember it because 22 is twice 11. Joshua twenty two eleven talks about the place of passage. It's Beth Abara. And that was the place where John was baptizing At the place where they, they passed. Further evidence, Matthew chapter 3 verse 9, when John was speaking to the Pharisees, John the Baptist said to them, he said to the Pharisees, he said, don't think to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. He said, God is able to raise up of these stones children unto Abraham. And so John, baptizing in the very place where the children of Israel, 1,500 years previously, had passed through the waters. And what happened? We're told that Jesus, from the other side of Jordan, the personal presence of God dwelling among his people, the word of God personified in a person, the human fleshly manifestation of God entered into the Jordan River. And as he entered into the Jordan River, John at first objected and he said, No, this isn't the right thing. This isn't right. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, So be it, to fulfill all righteousness for now. And Jesus was baptized there by John in the river. And the Bible says that when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily shape like unto a dove. And he was baptized there in the power of his Spirit And the purpose, listen, the purpose for his earthly life began. The ministry of Jesus Christ began when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. We know very little about anything that he did prior to that time. He grew up as the son of a carpenter. When he was 12, he stayed behind in Jerusalem. And that's about it. But at that time that he came up out of the waters of Jordan, the purpose for his life began, and he began his ministry, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, casting out demons. You know the story, ultimately culminating on the cross of Calvary where he laid down his life and shed his blood to be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And after Jesus rose from the dead, his ministry completed. Oh, by the way, I forgot something. When he came up out of the Jordan River, one of the first things he did was select 12 stones. 12 apostles. He, he called Peter a little stone. That's what Petras means. It means little stone. He said, you are Simon, you shall be Peter, Petras, or little stone. And that's what they were. They were 12 stones, a monument that would forever bear forth the testimony of the word, the manifested presence of God passing through the Jordan River. In Revelation 21, verse 14, we see that the apostles' names are written in the foundation of the new Jerusalem. The twelve foundations bear their names. The stone, you know, that they were erected, the monument erected by the Lord. Well, fast forward, he finishes his earthly ministry. And he meets with his disciples after he rose from the dead, and he has this word with them in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. It says, then he said to them, Jesus now speaking to his disciples, he said, these words, or these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Now listen, verse 49. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. What? was the promise of the Father that Jesus, the forerunner, was going to send to the believers, the disciples, after he deceased. The answer is in John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus speaks again, and Jesus says this. It says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then it interprets, verse uh, verse 39, it says, But this spake he concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we see Jesus, the presence of God, the ark, if you would, entering into the Jordan, coming out, erecting 12 stones, completing his ministry, and then proclaiming there's a promise. There's a passage. There's something for all of you. First me, then the priest, then the people. There's a promise. There's a place for you to come through a river, a baptism, an empowering, a life that's been supplied, that's been promised, that's going to be poured out upon you. And he says, wait for it. Wait in Jerusalem until the promise comes, until you're endued with power from on high. That brings us to Acts chapter 1. Now listen, and we're we're wrapping it up. Don't worry, I know that the clock is moving like a fan tonight. You You say, no, it's really not. Wrap it up, please. We are. (laughs) Acts chapter 1 is the parallel passage of joshua chapter 3 in joshua chapter 3 all preparation has been made all strife has ceased all wandering is fulfilled and they're there waiting in the place ready for the promise acts chapter 1 same situation the ministry of jesus in the earthly sense has been completed all of the wandering of the apostles, all of the jockeying for position, all of the politicking, all of the confusion, all of the guessing of what is the will of God, all of that is over by the time you come to Acts chapter 1. And what we find is we find them gathered in the upper room in one mind, with one heart, praying with their eyes upon the Lord in the posture of a person who's ready to be led, waiting for the Lord to do what is next. And then it happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all gathered together in one mind and in one place. And suddenly, a sound like a rushing mighty wind from heaven filled the place where they were sitting. And cloven tongues of fire came and rested upon each of them. And it says that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And something changed that day. There was a new dynamic in the lives of the people of God on the day that the Spirit was poured out and they were baptized by His Spirit. They were already saved. Jesus had said to them, You are clean by the word which I have spoken to you. John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And they received the Holy Ghost. But then He said, Wait, wait. Until you're endued with power from on high. And that took place on the day of Pentecost as they were waiting there uh, in the upper room waiting for it to happen. And their lives changed that day. They went from following after their own ways, of leading their own lives, of doing their own thing, to no longer wandering but finding the very purpose for their life. You just look at the difference and just Peter alone and you see him before the day of Pentecost and then you look at the life and the ministry of Peter after. On that day, there was a new dynamic. For the first time in his life, he knew exactly what to do. He stood up and he preached a sermon that takes two minutes to preach and 3,000 people got saved. We see them moving when one accord like a well-oiled machine as God began to just move and bless and pour out and they were led in their lives. There was something that had happened in them the day that the Spirit came. And that is the thing that this baptism, this crossing of the Jordan River most closely represents in the life of the child of God. It's the promise of receiving the upon-empowering personal presence of jesus christ by the power of the holy spirit with you all the time when you go what is the purpose of the baptism of the holy spirit well it's a pledge just as it would be a pledge for them that they would finish their ministry that they'd finish their conquest so too for you to be baptized by the holy spirit of god for you to walk through the waters of Jordan and to, 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 to know that there's a difference, that there's a change in your life. It moves you from the place of wondering to the place of wonder. Because you say, Lord, you're going to finish what you began in my life. And it's a pledge to me. That though there's battles to fight, though there's wars to wage, Lord, you're going to do it. You're going to see me through. It's also not just a pledge, but it's also an empowering. It's an empowering. Listen, Joshua said... When they see these stones and they ask, then you will say, this is what the Lord has done. The Spirit empowering your life does the same thing. What do you mean? Jesus said this, Acts 1.8. He said, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That when the Spirit comes upon you, that's where you'll find power to testify concerning the things that Jesus has done in your life, for your life, and in the world. There's power that comes by the Spirit's presence upon your life. And then third and finally, the the baptism of the Spirit serves for you and for me as a guide. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is god and therefore he sees the future and he's able to lead my life because he sees everything that's going to happen he's already into my tomorrow he already sees what's going to happen at my workplace or in my work field he already sees what's going to happen on the political and on the economic spectrum He already knows what's going to happen with my family or with my personal health. He sees all those things already. And so he's able to successfully navigate my path with the full knowledge of what is yet to come. And I have that power with me when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. He not only sees the future, but he also has supernatural power. If something does come, an obstacle, something that seeks to subvert, to stand in the way, to, 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 to stop me ultimately from coming into what he has for my life, the Spirit of God is sovereign over those things, and he's able to make all grace abound to the child of God so that nothing can subvert God's purpose in leading your life, no matter what weapon is formed against you. He's also the one that will never leave you or forsake you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week in whatever crossroad you come to in whatever advice you might need on the fly He's an ever-present help in your time of need that He is with you to lead you constantly. And He meets the fourth criteria too and that He cares an awful lot about you. Can I ask you? Do you have it? Can you look at your life And can you say, I've crossed the Jordan River? That, yeah, I'm saved, yeah, I've been to the Red Sea, yes, I've been delivered, yeah, I've been instructed, I understand the Word of God, I have the manna from heaven, yes, He provides for me constantly, but my life is nothing but wandering. Or have you come to the Jordan River and you said, Lord, I'm willing, I'm ready to be led. That whatever giant I might face, whatever war I might have to wage, whatever battle might be before me or the walls of Jericho or whatever else it is, Lord, I'm going to go where you lead because I know that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above what I could ask or think and you're able to successfully complete what you've began in me. Have you come through the waters of the Jordan River? Are you willing to be led? Are you willing to come to the point where you say, God, I've exhausted all my resources. I've done everything that I can. I've done everything that I know. And here I am, Lord, standing before you now. And are you willing to say, Lord, lead my life? Lead it, Lord. My eyes are upon you. They're upon your presence and where you lead. My eyes are completely fixed upon the path that you would mark so that I don't take one step to the right hand or to the left. Lord, I withhold nothing from you. There's nothing that I would say, Lord, I love this more than you, or that I can't be sanctified Because or set apart because, Lord, I'm doing something else and I'll get to that. But no, Lord, I want to be led by you. I want to be filled by you. Because here's the promise. Peter said it on the day of Pentecost. He said that God will give the Holy Spirit to all whom he calls. That the promise is for you and for your children and for as many as that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Do you have it? Father, we thank you tonight for this word. We thank you, Lord, that as we follow Joshua and the children of Israel through this river, it gives us a chance to examine ourselves in light of your leading and ask the question, are we truly following you? Tonight, Lord, I would pray that as we're gathered here in this time, as we've read these words and heard these promises and seen you've carefully fulfilled all that you've spoken we would pray Lord that each one of us here would find ourselves in that place where we'd say yes Lord where we would surrender all to you and there would be nothing that we would withhold and I pray for each person here Lord that tonight they would find a mighty baptism that as they would fix their eyes upon you that the waters would be cut off at Adam, that no longer would they end up in the Dead Sea, O Lord, but that every person here would find themselves in the midst of their destiny, the thing that you've called them to, and that they would enjoy the good fruit of your land. So have your way in our hearts, O Lord, and let us surrender and find ourselves before your throne. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. Thank you.